0: So welcome back with taking lunch uh, with Corbin London, where I spent about thirty minutes uh, talking to people who haven't quite made it yet, but are but are really on their way. Uh, today's guest, we have uh, Jack Bible. Uh, he is uh, the co-founder uh, of a brand new uh, shop out here, uh, sandwich shop out here uh, in LA, Giada. Did I pronounce that correctly? Right. Pronounce that correctly. Yeah. Cool. So. Co-founder of brand new shop out here. Uh, he's from New Jersey, moved out to LA, made the leap. Now he's a, a entrepreneur uh, and a businessman. So uh, excited to talk to you, Jack, just to sort of you know learn more about how you did it. Thanks, man. No, happy happy to be here. I'm ready to uh, to talk. Awesome. So. so taking it back, you graduated from University of Maryland. That's sort of uh the our, our connection. When yeah. you moved out to LA, or excuse me, before that, did you? move out to LA knowing that this is what you wanted to do to open up this sandwich shop or, or how did that work out? No, definitely not. The progression is definitely not
1: that, uh, not linear at all. So after Maryland, I moved to like Silicon Valley. I was working at a consulting firm based like right in San Jose, Palo Alto, like that area. Very technology focused, like client work. Uh, really didn't like San Francisco. Okay. And so after like a year, Um, one of my best friends from growing up had, had moved to LA while I was out there and I was flying down there once a month to to see him. And just coincidentally, my seven best friends that I grew up with in New Jersey, all relocated in LA together in the house I'm in right now. And this is 2018. So about a year and a half after I graduated from Maryland. Um, so we moved into this house. Um, and so that was like really what planted the seeds for like Giada becoming a thing. Um, we all shared like the same childhood memories of like kind of just any function we had in high school, sporting, prom, like going to lunch at school was at Belgian Beans on Bloomfield Avenue in our hometown. And so like, this was like a very like fundamental aspect of like our friendship growing up. And so when we came to LA, like by nature, we're just out looking for delis. And in three months we've basically determined that what we d- decide, what we felt was a good deli didn't exist. Um, and so that was like the first aha moment was like, okay, there's just no good delis. And then slowly but surely it came into like a weekend hobby of like, okay, if we were going to build a deli, like what would it look like? And we had a much larger vision for like what we wanted Giada to be that I can get into, but it's kind of off topic, but we basically, um, you know, we had a brand deck, which became a business plan, which, by the end of 2019 was going to be a food truck. Um, we're going to launch a Coachella in 2020. And so we're pacing into April. COVID does its thing. Coachella doesn't happen. Fortunately, we had not um, made any binding purchases from a like food truck or, or labor, nothing. We had spent nothing. So we, we had the ability to pivot at this point in time. I had just been laid off at the startup I was working at. My co-founder Noah had a couple months prior quit his job in tech to work at a restaurant to kind of get his bearings back. Um, And, you know, he's, he's ready to go at this point. He was ready to go in April. So we had to figure out how to kind of reorient ourselves. Um, And so, you know, in this month between April and June of 2020, we're just focused on like, okay, what can this be? We were going to do out of our house at one point, which we quickly diffused that idea. And then we ultimately landed on the cloud kitchen. Um, And so at this point, that was like, progression of giada we launched the cloud kitchen this was like day zero it was like entering that kitchen um and then i can you want me to like
0: keep well yeah no so one of the first things I wanted to ask a lot a lot of times when you're sitting around with your boys right late at night after a night out or whatever it may be you're plotting on ideas you know what if we created this what if we you know made this happen or what if we went on this trip a lot of times those ideas those conversations kind of fizzle out right they stop at the what if and they don't keep going but it sounds like for you you and you know you and your best friends that sort of started up uh, giada you said what if we started a restaurant right and then yeah. now you have one so how, how did you get to that point of, of bridging the gap of an idea putting it to action and then actually seeing it through yeah, I can tell you're talking to a lot of people about this shit, because that is so true. Like I feel like that whole concept
1: of like having an idea and then not actually going through from the execution side of it is, is true. I feel like it happens to everybody. I have 30 ideas in this house with all my friends that you know we won't get to just because we the time. But I think for us and Giada, I mean, so I've I have two core co-founders and we have a fourth who who is kind of taking apart in a role, but he's still very fundamental to everything we do. What I think is really important about the four of us is that we're very dissimilar in terms of our skill sets. I focus more on the business end. My co-founder Noah is kind of like the operational force that keeps us alive. He is the one in the kitchen. He was the one that was really like day one figuring all this shit out because none of us had a food background. And then Max um, and Jack Wells, the other Jack are really our brand masterminds. And so I think one thing that happens when people take on new concepts is they hit these points of like not knowing how to do something. And, and then it becomes discouraging because in the scenario where you have a full-time job and like you're doing something on the side, it's like, oh, like I'm, I don't want to circumvent, I don't know how to circumvent this. So for us, I think we've, we had this ability to kind of like do a lot more than I think your stereotypical deli owner maybe was able to, right? Like we were able to spin up a business plan very quickly and we were able to, you know, have somebody on the ground at one of the best restaurants in LA learning every day. And we had people from a brand perspective that you probably don't find in Dallas. So these things were all accelerants for us. Um, and so I think there was, there was that that was really helpful. And I think the other thing for us um, that was a challenge, but also became I think our biggest strength is that we came into this with no food background. And so from you know the first time we started taking this seriously, we were very cognizant of the fact we didn't know anything. So when we go into these introductions with people in hospitality, people that have scaled restaurant brands, people that have scaled any brand, we we come in as students, like, and we're not. There's no ego on calls with us. We get on. We're taking notes. We're taking everything very seriously, and we appreciate advice from anybody, whether they are Danny Meyer at Shake Shack or like a customer that walks in our store. Because for us, we're like we're taking this day by day. We have no idea what's going on. So I think it for us it was a combination of having a great set of skills. And I think if you look at like any like venture, like Y Combinator has a lot of great content around starting startups. And like their whole thing is like the founders are like the first piece, obviously. So I think we got lucky with the mixed shift of us. And then I think the second thing is just the mindset of like really being prepared to know you don't know everything mm-hmm. and kind of make that like the ship on your shoulder as you go through solving problems.
0: So you said you worked in, you know, the up in Silicon Valley, up in, this, in the, um, you know, Northern... California, San Francisco, Bay Area, and you hated it. Then you got laid off. Was this kind of this project when, when you know, you were going through kind of like that transition period, was this what you put all your eggs in the basket for? Or were you thinking, all right, I'm going to, you know, like like your buddy did, I'm going to work at a restaurant to get my bearings, and, you know, I'm going to talk about this on the side. Or are you like, all right, like, forget what I'm, the finance, forget what I've been doing. I'm, I'm locked in on this idea. So let me also add one more
1: thing in your previous question that you just reminded me of, but the, really one of the most important things I think is you need to have on your founding team, like an internal optimist or somebody that's just like not going to get swayed by any type of any, any just type of hurdle, like that type of person. And that was Noah for us really early on. Like this was a guy at a very stable job out of college, making a lot of money, When this idea, honestly, for like Max and I, you know, we had other things going on. We weren't ready to quit our jobs, right? Noah, six to seven months before we were, we were supposed to be that cloud kitchen. This is almost a full year before we actually launched. He quit his corporate job to go work at a restaurant just to learn that level of commitment. We would not be where we are without him. So I just wanted to add that because I think that's like, obviously one of the most important things. But to your question about the eggs in the baskets, So for me, I was a PWC until the end of 2019. I really wanted to be more in a startup environment. So I joined a startup in LA called Clutter. It's an on-demand storage company. Um, And so I was there like seven months, got laid off. And so just out of like a knee-jerk reaction, I applied to business school. Um, And I had that on the table and was going to go, right? Because at that moment of uncertainty in the world, it felt like the safest way to insulate myself. I think a lot of people probably had that same reaction. And so, you know, that was the plan. I was going to do that. And then I had, you know, five months where I was going to go. So I started working on Giada day to day, um, kind of just because I had the time and it was something I cared about. Um, And so, you know, by June, we launched the Cloud Kitchen and I think that the combination of you know, the delivery, heightened delivery demand, heightened digital presence for consumers and people just wanting to see positive things coming out of a very dark restaurant industry at the time really gave us some like amazing acceleration out of the gate. Um, And so for me, you know, it went from like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'll go to business school and then I'll do it part time to like, I can't leave, you know, like I cannot leave. And so for me, that was difficult because like when I always thought of myself like two years ago, I was like, you know big market cap companies. I want to be involved in like things that are going to drive a lot of business value, like technology companies. And so for me, like trying to take that mindset and apply to a deli, probably not the way most people would think about it. But for me, I felt like we had something really special in LA because I really thought we had identified a gap in what's supposed to be one of the most competitive food markets in the world. So it was important for me. Um, So what I ended up deciding to do was defer business school um, for a year. Um, and work on this full-time, and, and so that's what happened, and it was the most, like, rewarding and very stressful and concerted year. All, it was like, I can't even explain to you, like, the volatility of my emotional state last year. It was insane. <laughs> I, 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 everybody had that with COVID, but, like, I think doing what we were doing, like, in a 250-square-foot kitchen with no windows, like, you know, dealing with the happiest customer and the angriest customer, all these things were very emotional um, and not knowing what you're supposed to do two or three weeks out and just kind of learning every day. So did, and so now we're kind of like approaching on that one year mark. And for me, the way I'm thinking about it is like, I'm kind of focused personally on like just keeping, I prioritize optionality and like learning opportunity. So like for me, I'm fortunate enough that the business school programs that I, um, and enrolled and let me defer again, okay. which is, you know, I just can't. So you're anymore. deferring for a second, a second year? I, uh, yeah, I didn't know it was possible, but I, you know, I, I wrote an honest letter to both of them and, and, or the school that I'm, I'm enrolled in. And I was just like, you know, this is what's going on. I started this while I was supposed to go. And it's so amazing. And I, and I don't know what to do. And I know you probably haven't heard many examples of things like this, but I feel like I need to be here longer, full-time with living with my co-founders in LA. So so that, um, that was of recent, and then now I, you know, I'm really fortunate that I have a remote job that I've started actually last week at a startup in San Francisco that I'm doing Monday through Friday. So from like nine to five, nine to 6 PM, I'm at that startup and then 7 AM to 9 PM, 9 AM is Giada time. And then 6 PM post is Giada time. And then today and yesterday on the weekends, I'm behind the register. So I've packed my schedule okay. to the brim, but story is I'm, I'm finding ways to kind of keep all my options open um, and, and kind of like solving for things as I go, I suppose, with what, what I know in the moment.
0: Okay. That's crazy. That you so you deferred business school not one time, but I'm sure they don't mind it though, because that means that when you do eventually go to the business school, they're going to have a guy who knows how to run a business. I
1: completely agree with you.
0: I think some of some of the programs are definitely like
1: they have I think there's some ego on the on the admissions committee and they just want to convert their 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 like admits, right. but I think when you think about it that way and you're objective about it, 100%. Like you know, I think that for me like I feel like you hear about like consulting for example, like out of undergrad, people are like, "Oh, the learning curve so steep, all these things." Now that I have built a one location restaurant business, I can tell you unequivocally, like there's a large gap in true fundamental business understanding from what you're doing in a consulting firm. And when you build something from a pitch deck to reality, like, and so from a business perspective, I completely agree. Like me personally, even thinking about how I would utilize that degree because you're supposed to go into the plan and use it for a purpose. Mm. Me lacking any of the experience I have for the last year and a half, I don't think it's the same experience for me. I really don't. I think I like have a, I think I have a much more developed perception of like thinking through businesses because I've had, I think a pretty unique mix of things, but one of the main parts of that mix being Giada
0: at this point. Okay. So you get the idea, you guys are rolling, then you start as a cloud kitchen. Now, my Mm -hmm. understanding of a cloud kitchen is there's not a storefront. It's kind of like, I don't know if you were in in College Park when it was um, Good Uncle uh, I don't know if you remember the good uncle, the food trucks that went around, to where they cooked the food like in the back of the truck when they would drive around College Park. What uh, just for people that don't know, like how do you explain what a cloud kitchen really is? Yeah, well, we I definitely didn't have a food truck in Maryland. Right? Really, um, but uh, that sounds good. What kind of food is it? It was like burgers, uh, like chicken sandwiches, stuff like that. It was good for like a year. And then I think, you know, you're talking about scaling and things like that. I think they scaled in the wrong direction because like the quality of the food kind of decreased. Yeah. The prices went up. And then before you know it, they were gone after after a year.
1: Damn. I was a uh, Buffalo Chicken Sandwich at Bentley's
0: guy. Gotcha.
1: <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> That's what I go to. Um, but um, what were we talking about? We we're talking about. Uh, it's Cloud, Cloud Kitchen. kitchen. Like, so, like how, how you
0: found that idea. Yeah. So we
1: we were introduced to it by a mutual friend of ours. He actually went through Y Combinator for a cloud kitchen startup before they were as kind of prevalent as they are now. Um, this was like two years ago. So we had been like aware of the space just coincidentally through this friend for some time. Um, and as we were scoping our, our idea, this was something that we had considered loosely but didn't take it seriously until, until COVID. But to describe it, I would imagine it, um, if, if I've never seen one before, it's like a, it's a large warehouse facility, um, not tall ceilings, but like it, it's in square footage probably resembles a warehouse and it's got partitioned units. Okay. So it's a large facility, of about 30 subsidiary units that are outfitted as kitchens. So there's hoods in them, stoves, um, and then within it there's hallways. So it almost kind of looks like you've got like, a, it's like a high school, uh, hallway with the classrooms on each side. And then there's a centralized fulfillment team that is working for Cloud Kitchens, the operator. It's um, the name of the company that owns them. There's other providers too, but this is the one we were in. And so basically, your, your setup there is you have um, an order manager, which is a, a software middleware that integrates with DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates, et cetera, pushes all your orders into one centralized queue. And then you have your kitchen staff in there responding to the queue, fulfilling tickets putting the bags outside in the hallway the fulfillment staff up front has 50 locations of queues they're managing and they're coming grabbing your bags um to to bring them out to the drivers and so the uh the value i think for us at the time when we made the decision was uh, you know low initial startup costs to get in there we uh we were from initial convo with them about entering in that location, like three weeks later we had entered. So it's very fast ramp up time. I think the limitations of it arise when you hit like critical mass with your business, your unit economics are strained because they take a percent of your revenue. Um, And I truly believe that you can only service, there's a ceiling to your volume operating that way, both from an operational perspective. And I just think scaling your brand as a cloud kitchen, you have limitations. And then we found some things we didn't love just about not owning the full customer experience, right? Like when you're not the one handing the bag off to your customer and there were customers who did try to do pickup there because they appreciated our brand and they wanted to come see us and they showed up There was like a graffiti covered building Oof. in, you know, an area of Los Angeles that I think most of the people who probably resonate with our brand probably weren't going to just generally. And so I can't tell you like how many calls I got from, know like a family like hey you know uh we actually don't feel comfortable getting our food we're gonna just leave it but thank you (laughs) i wouldn't know what to say but so i think that is kind of high level but um but i think to sum it all up it it's you know digitally focused restaurant operation you're doing primarily delivery uh order volume and you're able to get in there pretty quickly and for not a ton of money
0: but over the long term your your profit's limited okay So sounds like you're saying, you know, a little less control over sort of the product after leaves your hands. So what, what was the jump from going to the cloud kitchen to finding a location, right? Finding, you guys are down on Melrose, right? Is that, is that the same uh, location that you began with? Did you move? Like, what, what was that jump like? Yeah. So launched in June by about September, we were starting to have
1: these realizations that we were building a brand but the business was lagging. And I think that was honestly a huge learning for us is like building a brand and building a business are not synonymous. They help each other. They're like loosely correlated, but it's not one does the other. They're very distinct. So September rolls around. We had all this excitement. We felt about kind of what we were doing in LA and we were, um, you know, now really focused on like the business side of things. And what we could see was that like, you know, when you rolled out a forecast, we didn't like how it looked. Um, and we also were just like anecdotally feeling the customer experience things that that were going on. So for us, we, you know, we kind of had this, had this thought, we got to get out of there and by literally, I mean, the backstory is is kind of insane, but my co-founders, younger sister has a good friend that goes to USC who works at an amazing, uh, real estate development firm called creative spaces. She's an intern there and I was joining them full-time after college, the same individual. Happens to be um, a food blogger, at uh, Spoon University, USC. Okay. She reached out to us in June and was like, "Hey, like I would love to interview you guys." We did an interview with her. Absolutely love this girl. She's amazing. Her name's Maura. and um, you know, so that was the intro to her. And you know, you roll forward a month. She's catered her office at her summer internship. The CEO Tyler Stonebrick, who's one of our really close, you know, advisors and friends at this point, was like, "I need to meet these guys. Like, what what are they doing?" And so we got this intro. And so the, the progression there is that he ultimately was working with, with a, with a family from the East coast that had purchased a lot of real estate on the, on the East side of Los Angeles. And they, you know, had a spot they wanted to put us in. They liked the story, they're East coast um, people that really kind of appreciated deli sandwiches. So that, that opportunity came available to us in September to move on to Melrose. And so from September to December, we're going through lease LOIs and, and kind of understanding the mechanics of what we were about to do from like a, a contract perspective. And then we were planning for like you know what, you know. we had a kitchen um, consultant come in to tell us how we needed to structure our kitchen. And um, we're working with a variety of designers to think through the design of the space and we broke ground um, in December closed our cloud kitchen end of December. So January and February at this point, full planning mode to enter Melrose. And then on March 17th, um, we entered Melrose. So this is now our fifth week at this brick and mortar. Um, and now we're just taking day by day, making sure that what, we're, what we've are what we designed is working. Um, and then next, next off for us is, is trying to get a second location, hopefully in Venice on the west side.
0: Okay. And so you, you opened up March 17th, you said. Now, March in LA was a terrible time, right? We had like the four COVID tiers and then we had like the lockdown. We weren't even in like the COVID tiers yet. So you're going on this huge venture, right? You're like you're you're going all in with this. You left the cloud kitchen, you got you have a location. The whole point of having the location, right, is so people can come in to have that experience, to see you, to to get their hands on the product. But when you, when you open up right they can't do that so what was it like you know moving into this new location but then because of what was going on in the world you probably couldn't you know do the things that you wanted to do or grow as quickly as you maybe have wanted to
1: yeah absolutely so i think one thing and this is just like a restaurant trend is just that like you gotta be good at delivery right now. And you need to have that technology stack in place. Um, And so for us coming out of the cloud kitchen, that was our default was like, well, we're delivery first. Now we're just letting people come in order and register. So from that perspective, you know, we we knew we were gonna take a lot of the elements out of that operating model and apply them to our brick and mortar. We were gonna be a very software friendly operation. Um, So we had that going for us. As we looked at Melrose, it's 750 square feet. it's a second generation space, which means it was outfitted to be a restaurant prior. So the the actual structural changes to the building were limited. So, you know, we're looking at the way they use it before the prior restaurant operator, they had seating in there. It it kind of made no sense. 750 square feet, like, uh, you know, you can have like three tables. Right. For us, we started now thinking about, okay, well, like, what do we want to do here? And we had like, you know, order volume goals, sales goals, Like we knew how much we wanted to be able to do. And when you looked at it, on a, on a blueprint, we were like, we need more space. So what we ended up doing was designing Melrose to maximize for operational use. So out of that 750 square feet, probably 650 square feet of it, is either front of house or back of house area. Front of house being like cold deli, bagging, register, back of house is where we have the fryers, toasters and ovens. So we can, for 750 square feet, we have a lot packed in there. Uh, and so rolling that all together, we were designed very well for for covid operating as a restaurant you know like we have minimized risk i believe because we don't have wait staff um, we don't have customers on site there's no bathroom for customers um, and you know it's very easy for us to maintain the premises because it's what our staff does and we have a very strict um, re- regimen every morning for them to come in and sanitize and all these things so so from from that end you know launching in the middle of that COVID spike was tricky. We had to be very aware of everything going on, but because we had done it last summer when it was like, you know, maybe the spike wasn't as severe, but I think the level, the uncertainty and how precarious it was, was probably more so. It kind of prepared us in a way. Um, And so for us, yeah, I think it was, you know, just having a restaurant operation that has limited opportunity, I think, for like, Non COVID friendly um, occurrences, I suppose. So we, we were designed well for that, and I think that's what's kind of allowed us to like do a lot of volume and, and sell out most days, but also keep it safe for our staff, our customers, all the service providers that come and see us.
0: I looked. I took a look at the menu. I took the Instagram. First of all, your Instagram is is crazy. Like when I, I look Thanks. at it, I'm hungry. Like it's on my list to make it out to to to, to the to the shop here. Uh, Either next weekend or the weekend after, but you know, in the video, I'm gonna be popping up pictures of uh of the of the sandwiches and things like that. So, what's like your go-to item on the menu or or your kind of most favorite thing that you guys make? Well, I had a
1: spicy gate this morning, uh, which is our chicken parm with spicy vodka sauce. That sandwich outsells everything on the menu by many multiples. Um, We do like a hundred of those a day. It's kind of kind of crazy. But I would say like my. My like kind of more like, I would say my smart money sandwich would be you get an Olivia, which is a chicken pesto salad sandwich that our chef made, her name is Olivia. Um, it's on ciabatta and I get a side of balsamic vinaigrette that is homemade by Olivia as well. I'm in our back of house team and I dip it in the balsamic. Okay. That That is what I recommend to people. I do it, you know, I don't force it on people, but when I have recommended it, it has a mess. 10 I've out missed. of 10, everyone loves it. They come back in it again.
0: And the names of the different sandwiches. So you have the Olivia, which is named after your chef. Do we got a, yeah. Do we got one named after your dog? Like you know what I'm saying? Is your little oh, sister getting you love. Like how, how did that work out? Both yeah.
1: well, sisters on the menu. Okay. The,
0: Mad- the Madeline is is named after my sister. She also
1: doubles as our TikTok social media manager. Shout, awesome. out. Shout out Maddie. We we call her Dior sometimes. She's <laughs> in the stock market. Um, and then so we have the Lori, which is named after Max's mom. Go Fun ahead, fact about it. Max is that he's a vegetarian, and he, he can't eat, like, 90% of the things That's on our the menu. We made the joke he's the only vegetarian belly owner um, ever. Probably not, sure, but we still think it's funny. Um, and then the Antonia is named after Noah's little sister. Um, and what else do we have? We'll pull up our menu. Um, I believe it is just those three with naming conventions. Oh, the Jay Stilly. So one of our childhood best friends, Jesse Stillerman um, has been living in LA about as long as we have. We've known him you know, probably since we were 10. He actually has been one of our early employees at both locations. He was in our cloud kitchen initially. At first, kind of honestly just helping us out of love to launch and then became like, you know, like our kind of source of truth for like a lot of aspects of what we were doing. So very integral in our cloud kitchen launch and then now at Melrose he's kind of served that same role for us he made a sandwich called the J stilly which is a uh, grilled chicken sandwich with Calabrian honey chilies um, and prosciutto. It is insane I highly recommend giving that one a try.
0: I think what I'm gonna have to do is order about two it bring people with me each of us order a sandwich a different one and then we kind of cut it up and then we kind of we kind of share it around that way. I uh I would recommend doing that. It's
1: always tough, like when people ask, oh, what should I get? Like, you know,
0: I I, I think
1: I default to the spicy pea because we sell so many. And same like the classic Italian, that's probably our second biggest seller. But like for me, there's such a wide variety of the ingredients in our sandwiches. You really do need like three or four to kind of get what's going on here. But when in doubt, spicy
0: pea. Absolutely. Okay, okay. So kind of taking it back to to kind of mention like your Instagram feed uh, is doing real well. You mentioned that you guys were going to launch at Coachella. Obviously that couldn't happen. What have you been able to do over the last, you know, few months, few weeks, whatever it may be, to get eyes on the shop, whether it be, you know, you know, getting a to cater to, to people's lunches, kind of like how you started off or whatever it may be. How, how are you getting people in L.A. to, to notice you guys? Yeah.
1: So I think this has changed over time, right? Like I think now we're fortunate that we have a pretty strong and, and loyal following. Um, so now I think our calculus is different. When we launched, this was kind of what was going through our minds. No storefront we're digital brand. We need to get eyeballs on us and we need to do it in like a cost effective manner. So we kind of had two strategies here. Um, the first My, one of my best friends from Maryland, Jared Nozick, uh, he worked at Live Nation doing growth marketing. Um, He had been laid off in the pandemic too. And him and I, you know, we we, kind of had some entrepreneurial history together and we're always on the phone, just like throwing ideas back and forth. And I called him and I was like, dude, like, I really think we need to run paid social media ads for Giada and have them convert into online orders. And, you know, I, I know there are restaurants doing that at the time. But at that point in time, not what it is now. Now I think every restaurant is, oh, you need to run ads, but a year and a half ago wasn't the case. Um, and so Jared was like, oh, you know, I did this in growth marketing. I did growth marketing Live Nation. This is literally my job. Like, let me do this for you. So Jared came on and was really helping us kind of design our um, paid marketing infrastructure. And, you know, he since started a restaurant-focused uh, digital marketing firm, which is kind of insane. Uh, I'd like to just point out Giotto was his case study when he got his first client. Oh. But so that was huge. And we were able to convert orders at a really amazing customer acquisition cost that was scalable. So we were, you know, ramping marketing spend into the summer and just saw better performance. And so that was huge for us. I think the second aspect was an advantage to starting a business. I think at the age we did it, especially a consumer brand, is that Three of us went to, Mina and Max went to Maryland, Michigan, and NYU, respectively. And these are big networks, especially in LA. So I think that when you have three people with three distinct sets of college networks all doing something interesting together, um, you have this kind of like guerrilla marketing flywheel around it. people just, it's just like an interesting thing. Like I think even now for me, like if I see other people starting things, I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Like I want to support, I want to be engaged. So there's that. And then, you know, we just were cognizant of, of the influencer dynamic in consumer brands. Right. Not to the point where like we're paying, like, like that's something we would never do is like pay for a post. But what we do try to do is just like acknowledge opportunity when we see it, right? So like if we know somebody works at a talent agency and is the assistant of so-and-so's agent, we will ask said agent if they would like want lunch one day and we've had good outcomes when things like that happen. So it's kind of those three things. You have, to, I think there's like a, 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 you know, when you're starting the brand like we were last year, sometimes you gotta put some dollars behind marketing, right? Cause it, you gotta work to right. get people to look, to look at you. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point in time, what we're trying to do is focus a little bit less on, on the paid marketing side. We're still, you know, watching it closely. Um, it's still something that we're gonna do long-term, but we're trying to diversify our content across our different channels. So for, for us, this really means looking at something like TikTok, a lot of brands, I think get turned off by just the nuance of it. For us, we're like, no, we have to figure this out and make it work for us. Thank God I have a sister that just happens to be really naturally good at TikTok. Right. She is the, the talk boss. She, you should hear her yell at us on Saturday and Sunday mornings. We give her an hour each morning to film stuff and like this morning, people were not wanting to get out of bed. So like she, but, but point being is that like, we're very much focused on diversifying our existence on different channels. Um, in part, because I really think that that's important as you scale a brand is that you have different levers you can pull, you can ultimately maximize your following doing stuff like that. And, and I think we're also looking to focus on tell, telling our story a lot. You know, when we were early, we were just like figuring, wow, what was going on? We didn't even really know the story we were telling. And now that I think we have some bearings beneath us, and we're really kind of trying to take a second to, you know, reflect on what's happening. I, we all believe we have a pretty interesting story, so we're really trying to like weave the posts we have to be much more intentional, okay. um, to take into account what we've done, but also like what we believe in. Like we're not afraid to like comment on on things happening in the world, um, and and we're not afraid to like acknowledge the authenticity of what we're doing. Like, for us, some of the things we're most excited about is posting things about our staff, right? Like, telling their story. Like, the restaurant community, the people that work in restaurants are some of the most amazing individuals, I think, ever. Like, when you really take a second and understand, like, the DNA of who comes and works in restaurants, I mean, I could talk about it all day. They're they're incredible types of people, all different walks of life, all different ages, all different reasons for being there, but they're ultimately... Part of like one cohesive family that like brings hospitality to a customer. So that that's something we take a lot of pride into. Um, but I can keep going on this, so I'll just I'll let you uh i let you stop me.
0: That's awesome that you uh you have your little sister kind of you know running the TikTok um kind of deal for you. But sort of stripping away you know the the Giada itself and you know the the company that you're working for now. You're working like you said, from seven to nine, then from nine to five, and then from five to whatever it may be. What what like what sort of discipline do you have to have? Or what sort of kind of mindset for, you know, a young kid who maybe, you know, is coming out of college who wants to, you know, have a main hustle and a side hustle, or or someone who wants to pick up a side, whatever it may be, how do you sort of keep yourself level headed to where you're doing a million things at once during the day? But you still have time for yourself, your mental health, your physical health, all that stuff. Jesus, okay, that's, that's that's a that's a dense one. Um, so like, I think I think so for me,
1: and like my schedule, I'm very. A lot of people see my calendar and get freaked out by it, but for me, I think one thing that was helpful about starting my career in consulting is that job and that textile style of work is very, um, very indexed on being, you know scheduled and clearly defining goals because you're talking to a client so it's like client has a very complex problem you're supposed to break it down into modules explain to them how you're going to do it when you're going to do it why you're going to do it these these types of thought frameworks and for me that has stuck with me and I just think that like when I approach the things I do I'm very much thinking about not so much the big problem at hand but it's okay what do I have to do to like get this done and it just like for me has become just how I approach things so I really try to like you know if we're you know, if we're like building a, a deck for an investor, it's like, okay, yes, investor deck. But like, what are the subsections of the deck? How are we going to get this information into the deck? When should we review? Like, and I try to break everything down. So that's that's how I approach my schedule just being very pragmatic um, and I think intentional. And like from the side hustle thing and like trying to get that going. I mean, I think before you even try to do that, I think you just need to ask yourself if you have the motivation to do it. Because I definitely would not like, I would not recommend my schedule to, <laughs> to myself at 22 when I graduated from Maryland okay. that you, you, you need to bow. And I've made this mistake in the past is I think you need to like be realistic with yourself and, and acknowledging like what you can actually take on. Like, I, I remember like, it, at points in my past where I felt like I just had too much going on on the side. And like, and, and typically it wasn't my main role that got, um, impacted. It was the side things. And like, I'm the type of guy, if I'm involved in something, I want to give it 110%. So that's, that's how I think about getting involved in things. It's like, can I give something 110%? The answer is yes, I'll typically do it. But so I think there's that you need to just know what you can do. And then you need to have the motivation to like, be able to do these things, right? Like if you're somebody that wants to go watch TV at 6pm on a Wednesday, I wouldn't recommend starting a business on the side of, of your main job. But, and, and that's also like, not to generalize, like, I'm sure I've watched TV at 6pm on a Wednesday, but I'm, I think the point being, is like, if at 6pm, you are irritated by having to go do some work after your other work, like, this could become frustrating for you right. at scale. So I think that you've got, got to be able to like, push yourself a little bit and really be uncomfortable, like, very uncomfortable, a lot, many days of your week. Um, and so I think if these things are like, things you can think through, except I think then you're like, I think prepared mentally to go, to go do it. Um, and then I think the other thing for like a side hustle in general, and I think this applies to like any thing you are doing is like, just to have your goal clearly defined. Like I would definitely not recommend devoting a lot of hours of your time to something that you don't have like clear line of sight of like why you're doing it. Um, and I think that could be like, if you're starting a business. Like what's the problem the business is solving or what's the service or the product? Like, Having that goal-oriented kind of mindset, I think is like very crucial, especially because your time is your is your investment. So like you just need to be intentional with the way you allocate it. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Awesome. I think one of the last things I wanted to ask, and you really just touched on it. You know, you're saying if you're gonna have sort of a side hustle, something that you're going after, you gotta have clear goals. You gotta have a, a clear vision on what you wanna do. With Giada, I mean, like what's next? Like what 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 are you guys looking to do? What are you striving for? You know, what can the people watching see out of Giada in the next, you know, six months, year, five years? Like where is this where's this thing headed?
1: Man. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, it changes a lot. Like the the goal, right? I think that we had a goal and a vision before we launched, and then now that we've launched, we've learned what it's like to have this brick and mortar, and I think it is informed how we're thinking about the future. I think for us, what I can say for sure, we want, um, we want to be a scale restaurant business. We want to have many locations. We want to be in different cities. We want to be, you know, on both coasts. We have all these aspirations. We have a very kind of, um, I think we have a very specific mindset towards how we're going to scale. It's not, I think it lies somewhere in between like, we have a slide in in one of the decks we've used that talks about brand differentiation um, or brand prestige and business scale and how there's kind of a trade-off between the two, like kind of the more hyper curated you are with your locations, I think you can maintain some level of of brand equity. And then, you know, if you scale out like an in and out, I do like their, I think their brand is great, but like, it's different. You're not going to be like a kith at 5,000 locations. So, so there's that. And so we want to, you know, do our locations, get to scale, um, make decisions pragmatically from a business perspective, but also, you know, we are very um, aware of our brand as we make business decisions. So there's that. There's things we can do with our brand relevant to food, relevant to hospitality, relevant to being an interesting consumer brand that I think we can achieve in that, you know, it's different products um, in and out of food. Um, And I think ultimately, like we, you know, we, we think a lot about, kind of hospitality groups that we want to emulate a lot. I think there's examples of those in New York, LA, Miami, like all those big cities that really kind of drive the innovation there. And, you know, we, if, if can, can get to a point where, you know, it's developed a lot of intrinsic business value. I think that there's a lot of opportunity for us to, you know, hopefully build more brands um, and, and maybe even be able to help other operators build their own brands. This is, you know, obviously, we have to do a lot before we can get to this point. But I think that, you know, you want to be able to get to that position, right? I think that when you build business value, you get to then make decisions, what you do with it. So that that's something we think about a lot too. But right now we're focused on making this week better than last week. I, th-
0: I think that's, that's a good way to look at it. And uh, definitely glad to, to be able to have you on. You know, typically my previous guests have been more sports related and I wanted to be able to, kind of have an even playing field of the people that I come on and, and, and talk to. So you're kind of like my first, and it's funny because the, the concept is, is taking lunch and you specialize uh, in lunch. That's kind of your go-to thing. I love that. I'm
1: happy. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, no, that's great. And dude, honestly, like I really love love the content you're leaning into. Like I remember early on after college, kind of like building up all this anticipation to go take take a consulting job. And there were amazing things that came out of that job. I really am so grateful that I had that experience. But I very much so found myself like, you know, on those Wednesdays at 11 p.m. when I was still on a slide deck, kind of having this like desire to be involved in you know, creative business and really kind of like be able to operate in myself um, and build something. And so like for me, I think where I am now is like a lot of what I used to kind of think about. It was like how can I have a side hustle that is cool and I'm really really like fundamentally interested in it and I can do it with my friends like all these things were, like things I had in my mind and now like that it's happened I think that like hearing about somebody that could have done a similar a similar type of thing would be really helpful because at at that point in time like when you're working at a big a big company like that there's not many people there that are like building businesses on the side and I think in some of the more narrow-minded settings, people are probably like not super um, supportive of somebody doing that, which I think is is silly in a way. Um, I think Google has a has a like a outward kind of stance on like giving employees time to do entrepreneurial, innovative stuff, and I think that's probably the the right direction of how to think about it. Um, but yeah, man, this is this is great stuff. It's really cool to see uh, see all this come together. Um,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I get, like I said, I appreciate you. I know, busy man, you know, your Sundays, I'm sure you want to get back to that. But uh, again, I appreciate you for coming on. I definitely will be making a, a trip down uh, to get a couple sandwiches. And I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, you guys grow. I'm looking forward to just to see everything that this turns into based on our conversation. I mean, you're the right guy kind of behind the wheel. And like I said, I, I, all, all the best luck to you guys.
1: Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, next time you
0: take your lunch,
1: come do it. Uh, come do it at <laughs> oh, do. All right, man.